0: our military members and veterans deserve our best because that is what we give to america the withdrawal the withdrawal was a catastrophe in my opinion and there was an inexcusable lack of accountability and negligence the 11 marines one sailor and one soldier that were murdered that day have not been answered for vladimir putin has just
1: addressed the Russian people moments ago announcing what Putin called the start of a military special operation, in his words, to demilitarize Ukraine. It's not even believable how incompetent it was. The way they withdrew or surrendered or whatever you want to call it, bad things started happening for our country. The border's bad. A lot of things are bad. Inflation's bad. But the way they got out of Afghanistan looked like a complete surrender. And I'll tell you, Putin was watching, and President Xi was watching, and the leaders in Iran were watching, and Kim Jong-un was watching, North Korea.
0: They were- Six months after America's disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, Russia invaded the Ukraine. Only weeks after Biden gave $6 billion to Iran, Hamas, backed by Iran, committed one of the worst atrocities in modern Israeli history when they just this past weekend invaded the country, killing over 700 babies, men, women, children, and elderly. On the Sabbath, at the close of the Jewish celebration of Yom Kippur, Palestine invaded Israel. And by now, you've probably seen the images of raped women being paraded through the streets, people dancing, being gunned down, and the dead bodies of innocent children. I don't like finger-pointing at a time like this, but it's time to be honest. This administration has destroyed everything it puts its hands on. Before we get into a both-sides argument as the death toll mounts up on both sides as Israel begins to strike back, let's just realize a basic fact. Ideas have consequences. This is why the conservative parent shows up to the school board and says, hey, there's gay porn in our children's libraries. That's a problem. This is why Christians should boycott businesses that repeatedly shun the Christian community while they endorse drag queen shows in your city with the money that you gave them. This is why the culture war matters. This is why we can't tolerate the gaslighting when we're told this stuff isn't happening. An idea turns into an agenda, and an agenda turns into a cause, a cause turns into a movement, and a movement turns into the future. If the future you want for your kids looks nothing like what the left is leaving behind, then it's time to wake up. If there is any question in your mind whatsoever that people of conscience have an obligation to stand up against bad ideas because they eventually do become the future, let me take you back not too long ago to the summer of 2020. Remember when it was an election year and BLM was oddly experiencing kind of some cultural prominence as they stirred up racial controversy in our cities? Remember also that in that time of cultural prominence, they said the quiet part out loud. They tweeted this, BLM stands in solidarity with Palestinians. Wait a second. Are there black people fighting the police in Palestine? How is BLM defending a police state where people get their hands chopped off for doing the very same kind of things that BLM protesters were doing all summer long? Let me help you. Ideas have consequences. When jubilant celebration is taking place in major American cities because Hamas is raping and murdering while shouting praise to God, you better realize these ideas are closer than you think. With an open border letting in all kinds of people with zero accountability, you better wake up that this hits closer to home than you think. Today on the show, I'll show you disturbing footage of what Palestine has been up to in Israel. It's my hope that these images will be emblazoned upon your brain, so much so that you can't say, that's over there, we live in America. If you're a Christian, if you have a conscience, if you care even a little bit about your kids and the future you leave behind for them, then it's time to take seriously the way we think about these things. And I'll try to give you some important things that you should be thinking about as one of the worst humanitarian crises unfolds in our time. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, if you want to help this show continue to create content, if it's been helpful to you in any way, I want to seriously encourage you to think about your end-of-year giving and making Indie Thinker a part of that. Now you can do that by going to the description of this podcast where you can find a link and you can support the show financially but you can even go one step further you can bless yourself with some great all natural health and beauty products by going to our herbal alchemy store. Whenever you purchase there some of the proceeds will go to benefit Indie Thinker directly but more than that. Also, some of the proceeds that go to Herbal Alchemy help fight human trafficking around the world. So if you're looking for health and beauty products without the woke, well, we can help you with that, and you'll support the show when you do it. And if you look on the screen right now, you'll see a promotional code that will help take off about 35% from your purchase of Arise. And Arise, of course, is a great all-natural supplement that helps you kick coffee out of your kitchen and gives you energy without any of the crashing that coffee often provides. So if you want to take care of your health, you wanna take care of your home, and you wanna help support this great show, then take a moment, go to the link on the screen, and then go support us by purchasing from our Herbal Alchemy store. By now you're familiar with the images perhaps of what Hamas did in Israel over the weekend. Now these religious Muslims supposedly went in to Israel on their religious holiday on the tail end of Yom Kippur and also on the Sabbath when Jews would be resting on that day. They took that opportunity to run into the country so that they could commit senseless random acts of violence upon the citizenry. I'm I'm not going to show you some of the more tragic kind of scenes from this because I think perhaps you've probably already seen them and you don't need to see it yet again on my show. And I also want to have some respect for some of these these people and their families. But but I do want to make sure that we clearly understand today that that along with the theme of the show that ideas have consequences and one of the things that we're already seeing about what's being said about israel is this idea of moral equivalency i can only pin this upon postmodernism that says there is no real truth there is no objective truth there's only your truth my truth subjective truth and essentially what that does is that it doesn't create a hierarchy of good or evil it just levels everything out so that we cannot chew gum and walk at the same time so that we we cannot tell when something is morally egregiously evil. Now, let me give you an example of this. So on the modern left, we are hearing a couple of different things, and they kind of Span the gamut of moderate to extreme. So I would almost call this liberal and not leftist, but we're hearing people say this, oh, you conservatives now, uh, you wanna give money to Israel, don't you? But you didn't wanna give money to the Ukraine. Now, the problem with this is very simple. It's the inability to be able to tell apples and oranges apart. Yes, they're both around, but they are different colors and they're actually different things. The real problem with what we see with Hamas and Israel is that this isn't a military occupation as it is in the Ukraine. This isn't a war as it, as it were. This is mere terrorism. This is a group of people who claim to believe in God and a God that is overjoyed at the fact that these men would have Jewish blood saturating their hands. So as you can tell, this is very different from the Ukraine, but I also want to be very clear. Uh, When the Ukraine war first broke out, I believed and I still believe today that we had an obligation as a country to take a stand against what Russia was doing for the sake of our own national interests, but also more importantly, because I believed that Joe Biden was at fault because of the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal and how that emboldened our enemies like Russia to believe that there would be no consequences for what what he did in the Ukraine. And frankly, I'm not sure that he's been disproven in his theory, if I'm right about that. So needless to say, I thought that it is incumbent upon us because of the way in which we have a international presence, uh, and when we show weakness in the rest of the world, uh, that when enemies see that, that they will take advantage of it. Because I believe that we had a responsibility based upon what we did in Afghanistan, I thought that we should be sending money to the Ukraine. Now we've far extended that idea in terms of how long we've been giving them money and and the amount of money that we have given them. So I didn't suggest that we should do that without restraint. I just suggested that because we are partially at fault for what took place with Russia and the Ukraine, then we have an obligation to defend the Ukraine. But also go one step further and say, I disagree with some isolationist conservatives on this issue. I do believe in a sense we are the world's police force. We have a moral obligation to make sure that tyranny does not go unhindered. You know, we, we have an obligation to take a stand whenever whenever evil starts to do the kind of things that it did this past weekend with Hamas and, in Israel. And I, I, the only equivalency I can draw here is in World War II. We had an obligation. The evil rose to the level of humanitarian crisis, and we needed to stop Nazis from taking over the world and taking over other countries. And it was an obligation that we had as a moral country to do that which is right. So I believe that we still have that today. And that is one of the things that makes what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia and what's going on in Israel vastly different. Hopefully you can already tell. And I'm not even talking about pure body counts. I'm just talking about kind of the agenda of the people going into Israel is vastly different than, than Russia. And I know that's murky territory, but this is what I'm talking about. We have to be able to have some kind of moral understanding of what's going on in the world if we're actually going to be able to call ourselves moral agents. And we can't take this kind of moral equivalency approach, which we're kind of subtly doing, if we cannot tell the difference between Ukraine and and Israel in this situation. So The other kind of more extremist thing that we're hearing is from the anti-Zionist movement on the left. And this is certainly squarely a leftist movement that supports Palestine. They say things like um, that Palestine is fighting back their oppressors. Israel's an apartheid state. And what they did over the weekend was just really them defending themselves and finally going on the offensive after all of the horrible things that Israel has done to them. So now it's time to start raping and killing and murdering children because we need to defend ourselves. So here's some protesters in Tehran, I'm sorry, um, in uh, Gaza. Nope, I'm sorry, in New York City. And I won't even call them protesters. I'll call them celebrators. Here's some celebrators in New York City who after they learned that Hamas had gone in, raped and killed, Innocent civilians celebrating the fact that they had done so. So you can see that on the screen now. And these perfectly moral people celebrating human atrocity, now when they see Jews across the street holding uh, Israeli flags, they then start shouting at them as loud as they possibly can Free Palestine. Free,
1: free Palestine. Free, free Palestine.
0: Free, free Palestine. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to show you that is not only to show you that the anti-Zionist movement in America is an anti-Semitic movement, but also to show you that the people who use the word neo-colonialism really only mean one thing. They mean people who disagree with me and people that I will kill if I have the opportunity to do so. So as we hear kind of the the racial narrative in america or the leftist narrative in america about neocolonialism and white supremacy i hope you understand neocolonialism is exposed in this clip as nothing more than a a label used to try to deceive people but more importantly to try to label people in a category as those who we will exterminate if we have the opportunity to do so we will get rid of these people if we can because they disagree with us so it's tantamount i will say the 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 label of neocolonialism is tantamount to the kind of label that you saw in world war ii with stars on the shoulders of jews it's it's another way of saying these people are worthless to me and i will kill them if they stand in my way how else can we interpret what is going on in major cities in America with this Free Palestine movement other than that, when they are celebrating the fact that people were raped and murdered in the street. To try to kind of give you that, um, the, the full appreciation of this, I wanna show you on the screen a young girl who's being dragged in the city streets by Hamas soldiers who is a prisoner of these people and has clearly been raped repeatedly. Now you can see these soldiers grab this young girl from the back of a vehicle, and if you have a keen eye, you can see that there's blood saturating her pants, which means she was probably anally raped and or uh, vaginally raped repeatedly to the point where blood is pouring out from this young unfortunate girl. And so all that to say this, to not decry this, is certainly morally egregious, but then to say there are bad people on kind of both sides is also morally egregious here. This, this is clearly, clearly there is one side that is evil compared to the other, and it is time to hold people to account for that kind of things. And for that, I bring you to our mainstream media and our political class, because here we have Ilhan Omar tweeting over the weekend with very, very you know, stern and somber words, uh, you know, respecting Israel and showing them the, the kind of love and appreciation that they need at a time like this. This is what she had to say. Reminder, Gaza doesn't have shelters or Iron Dome and to please pray for them. May peace prevail in the region and move us towards a moral awakening to care about the human suffering we are seeing. Palestinians are human beings who have been besieged and are deserving of protection from the international community. I mean, honestly, the way that she speaks about Israel there gives me new hope for humanity. Oh, wait, she didn't speak about them at all because she seems only concerned about Palestine here. Well, they don't have Iron Dome, so you can't hit them back as hard as they hit you. No, I'm sorry. We'll get to this in a moment, but there is only one response to this kind of evil and wickedness. Again, to try to paint this in the, in the picture of moral equivalency is either a lie or done by people who don't have, who don't have the intellectual capacity to be able to tell the difference between what Hamas just did in Israel. Now also we have the mainstream media chiming in and Mehdi Hassan of MSNBC said this, <laughs> taking children as hostages if confirmed is barbarism. Okay, it's been confirmed. So it is barbarism, but it's also disgusting and it is evil and it must be dealt with. Uh, plain and simple and does nothing to advance the cause of peace, resistance, or ending the occupation of Israel. Well, you are correct about this, Mehdi, but uh, you're also missing one vital, important fact, that Palestine is not interested in ending occupation. They are interested in the blood of Jews being saturated on their hands, which is why I, I want us as conservatives to kind of hear what's going on and realize that if we don't think we're the world's police force, we might be subtly communicating a moral equivalency that, that doesn't demand a moral response, which I I think, obviously, what's taking place in Israel does. Now, we've already started sending uh, armaments to them. I think we started sending uh, military-grade equipment to them and those kind of things. I don't know the extent of that, but I know that we are already doing something about this. But I'm telling you, this is a moral evil on par with what Nazi Germany did to the Jews in World War II. Now, it is not to the level of that in terms of Uh, quantity and in terms of Hamas's ability to be able to occupy the known world as as Nazi Germany but what they are doing is is such a humanitarian atrocity that and that's just I can't even comprehend the words right now to kind of illustrate this in the way it deserves it's on par with that with such evil atrocities that that we have rarely seen in our time that it demands a moral response from anybody with a conscience, from anybody with any courage whatsoever in their body and not just stern words. We'll get to this in this next segment because I really want to I want to get to this in this next piece of this story because i really want to speak not only to the conservative community but also want to speak to my people to evangelical christians who are processing this right now i want to give you some ways in which to think about what is taking place because there's kind of two contingents in the evangelical community and they'll be the ones who are praying for the peace of jerusalem right now and really kind of taking a very soft stance on what's taking place, but knowing that we need to pray for Israel. And, and I want to talk about that, but then there's also kind of the eschatology nuts. So first things first, the pray for the peace of Israel, people, I, I just want to help us understand that when we pray for the peace of, of Israel, we have to understand that that means exterminating Hamas with extreme prejudice. Now, I thought very carefully about those words before I said them so that you understand. I am not talking about exterminating Palestinians. I am talking about exterminating Hamas. When we pray for the peace of Israel, we have to understand that that means exterminating the evil, wicked people who desire nothing more than bloodshed of innocent men, women, and children. Uh, It means exterminating the people who would viciously, repeatedly rape and then behead. We're talking about the people that will shout praise God in the streets as they do all of those things. These are not a kind of, of people that can be allowed to live. Those kind of people must be exterminated with extreme prejudice. Now, I know in my own community already, I'm gonna get some kickback here because There is this kind of puritanical pacifism that invades the mind and the thinking of many evangelical Christians. What's funny about that is that Puritans weren't pacifists. By and large, they were the ones who were saying, hey, you know what, we should probably stand up against Britain and the kind of evil that they're doing demands a a response in kind or else we will not truly have peace as a people. It is what created revolution in America by and large, a Christian idea of what evil is and, and what must happen to that evil. By the way, if you don't, if you don't like that and it doesn't sit well with you, I just, let me remind you of what the Bible says about these kind of things. You know, the eradication of the Amalekites is called a genocide by some more radical new atheists and people like Richard Dawkins and that kind of thing. They say, God's a genocidal nut. Why would he want to kill the Amalekites? Well, listen, the only thing I can tell you about that is that the reason you don't see why is perhaps prosperity has destroyed your brain so much that you don't understand what evil looks like anymore. When you have a group of people who are hell bent on your destruction and will stop at nothing to kill you, your men, your women, and your children. They will litter the city streets with small babies and not care twice about it because all they care about is your blood on their hands. There is nothing that you can do about that except eradicate those kind of people. This is Hamas. And all of that to just simply say this, that the postmodern lie, that evil is in the eye of the beholder and that it's all subjective. You know, what may be evil to one person is not evil to another. Or even what we're hearing now is that just Palestinians were sick and tired of the occupation of their oppressors and now they're finally fighting back. Please guys, we have an obligation, a moral obligation to think better than that and to think clearly. We need to be able to take a stand and be able to tell the difference between gradations of evil. Sure, not everything is black and white. But not everything is gray either guys it it demands what just took place in israel demands that we stand for what is right and we use our voice and most importantly that we think clearly about these kind of things and i want to move you to something that i guess is a little bit more positive in tone but not that much more positive because it still has to do with kind of tyranny um but but i want to give a movie review and i thought you know should i give a movie review on the heels of talking about about what's taking place in Israel and the reason I want to is because this movie is a movie about World War II and about Hitler and a Austrian national who resisted Hitler. Now the the movie Hidden Life is absolutely fantastic. It's shot in a way that's very interesting. It's uh it's overdubbed a a lot. I not overdubbed. What is it? It's um narrated a lot by the the people in the film and we're allowed to see kind of just these beautiful image images of what life was like back back then counter opposed and contrasted with what was going on in in germany now i don't want to give away too much of the film i just want to say that this film is spectacular it's it's on par with another film that i think was really interesting called the constant gardener and the message of the film is similar to that movie in that it asks the question what does our stances really accomplish like i hear this very often and why i wanted to give this review of this movie is that i hear christians a lot saying what does it matter you know just all talk and no action what does it matter if we talk well here's why talking about these things and this podcast, talking about these things actually matters. No, I may not be saving a life in Israel by doing this podcast, but what I can do is I can help you think more clearly. I can help you then go and talk too, and then by virtue of your talking, our voices together combined can truly make a difference. Ultimately, to to look at our lives as just small and insignificant and not really capable of changing the world, is the recipe for the world getting worse and worse and worse and this is the idea of the constant gardener is that like you got weeds constantly coming up you know what does it matter if i just pull that one weed does it really make a difference kind of like the christian sermon analogy you've heard over and over and over again. If I throw the one starfish back in the sea, does it really matter? Will it matter to that one starfish? That kind of thing. Uh, the Hidden Life is, is, and it's greatly titled too, is a very similar message. It's what does the hidden life of the individual taking a stand actually really do if nobody sees it and nobody can really follow that, that lead? If you just die in obscurity or if you suffer in obscurity, what difference does it make to the rest of the world? And the idea is, is it makes a great difference. And maybe people can be inspired by your small stance. It's ultimately why we need to have a very strong stance with what took place in Israel, but also throughout other issues of our life. So suffice to say, this story is about a peasant farmer who lives in a beautiful picturesque area in austria i can only imagine they chose one of the most beautiful locations possible so that they could show that this man had a lot to lose and when hitler enlists him in war he originally fights um, maybe in World War I, I don't know. It doesn't really say, but, it, but I think it's originally in World War II, he goes for one tour and he fights. But on the second tour, he has to take an oath of allegiance to Hitler. And the whole story revolves around whether or not this individual is going to go back and enlist and fight for Germany and take an oath that pledges his allegiance to, to Hitler. And from the story, we get a couple of things that I think are valuable to us today. First of all, we look at the nature of courage. While this man is wrestling with this moral dilemma, we find that courage is incredibly rare for most people and most men. Most men will harass and attack an innocent woman Uh, as is seen in the movie, um, this man's wife, before they will actually take their own moral stance. And they do so very often because they themselves are convicted because they didn't take a stand. So they have to ostracize and they have to attack the people who are taking a stand in order to make themselves feel better about their lack of courage. So needless to say, it's a valuable lesson, one that we need to remember. What does courage look like? Well, it's hard to tell because it is so rare so we need perhaps an alternate source a a reliable place to to draw our courage from as is seen throughout this film it's one of the reasons i love it is that it shows Christian virtue on display throughout, and the Christian dilemma of whether or not God will help a man who has courage, or whether or not God will allow a man to suffer the consequences for his courage. All of these questions and more are on display throughout this film. It's fantastic, which also brings us kind of to the next thing, is that evil is on display in this film. Obviously, it's a film about World War II, Um, but it's interesting because it shows a, a Austrian national or if you want to say this, a, a German national who is actually the good guy. this is rarely done. this is kind of done in Schindler's list but uh, but rarely done as it was in this film. So a guy that's typically seen as the bad guy um, because we want to equate all Germans as Nazis back in the day but we, we forget about the Germans who took a stand and refused to um, to refuse to uh, to allow this kind of evil perpetrate be perpetrated in their time. We're thinking about people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, and and certainly this individual uh, who took a stand against Hitler. So uh, the the way it shows evil is is kind of interesting too, because obviously we have this good man who's taking a stand, but we have evil coming against this guy. and, um, And the evil is of the most deceptive nature. We even have a Catholic priest at the time trying to encourage this individual that, that he just needs to say the words, that the, the oath to Hitler that he needs to swear, but, uh, but you don't have to mean it in your heart. So evil is very deceptive in that way, is that it often blinds you to the consequences of your actions. It allows you to sacrifice the immediate for the long term which is again, another one of the reasons I wanted to do this review here. It's not just within the context of horrific tragedy as in World War II and in Israel over the weekend, but also because because we're consistently making this decision whether we know it or not. We're constantly deciding with what we do, what kind of future we want to leave behind for our kids. And so evil is deceptive, it's gonna say, hey, just sacrifice in the present. This little thing isn't really gonna matter. But you always, as a moral agent, have to ask yourself, what is the end result of of these kind of things? And ultimately, I love the film because of the question that I've already kind of illustrated. It asks the question, does what you do really make a difference? No, in a world of nihilism, in a world where we've separated ourselves from faith, in a world where we've separated ourselves from really living for a cause other than our own individual kind of pleasure, we have to ask ourselves this question over and over again, does what we do actually matter? And if so, doesn't it demand that we be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for it? Doesn't it demand that we take a stand while all others are seated or or refuse to pay attention or even turn a blind eye? Doesn't it demand what happened in Israel that we, actually be willing to go beyond there's good people on both sides and doesn't it demand that we understand that israel was was innocent in all of this and are being attacked by not just barbarians but but bloodthirsty homicidal maniacs terrorists that that must be dealt with again with extreme prejudice so ultimately all of these moral conundrums they don't they don't answer themselves and we rarely are prepared for when we're called upon to do the right thing. But we must be the kind of people who are willing to think clearly about these things in order to truly, truly make a difference. Because what you do makes a difference. And we'll see that in our final segment, Bible study with Democrats.
1: Oh God of pronouns.
0: In many places on Christian YouTube and on other news sites, we've seen the news that David Platt, the well-known pastor, is stepping down from his church. Now, this, of course, is not true, but let me explain who David Platt is so that you even know. David Platt uh, had created controversy when he prayed for Donald Trump, and then he apologized after the fact. David Platt was the pastor who stirred up some controversy at his church during... Uh, during George Floyd and the BLM riots because he apologized for being white to his congregation. And he is also the pastor who's very well known for writing the book Radical, that Christians need to take a radical stance and that the stance of Christianity is actually a radical thing and not just something that situates finally in the culture. Now, David Platt, uh, was rumored to be stepping down from his church because he just made an announcement that Mike Kelsey would be installed in a position over David Platt actually where Mike Kelsey will kind of be over all pastors of the church where where David Platt is the lead pastor. So he's going to kind of be the pastor of the pastors and be their boss. Now the reason this is important, the reason I bring it up at the beginning of this segment is that Mike Kelsey is also the guy who, when given permission by David Platt to spout, you know, racist racist animus toward white people, he took the opportunity and did so in the most inflammatory terms. And I mean that literally because he said that if it was up to him that he would torch all white people. Maybe you remember that clip, if not, check it out. Totally honest, like, so being angry about the situation, but um, it's difficult for me uh, sometimes not to just torch like all white people because in particularly white evangelicals and Christians, I said this at the time and I say it again. If Mike Kelsey were white and he said, I wanna torch all black people, is there any question in anyone's mind that he would have been fired immediately with prejudice, as ironic as that may be, uh, for that kind of statement? And the reason I bring all this up is that just a little bit of poison is enough to kill if you're not careful. And now Mike Kelsey has gone from as very often people do on the left, who has, has gone from totally sticking his foot in his mouth to promotion. And now he will be in charge, basically, of, of David Platt's church and be in charge of kind of navigating the things that are spoken about at that church. One can't help but believe the kind of racial animus and the kind of leftist nonsense that's present in Mike Kelsey will somehow find its way into David Platt's church. And one has to ask the question, does it even matter? Will we even pay attention to it? Will there be any loss of attendance at this church for continuing to do things that not only violate scripture, but violate common sense? And I have no such faith because we see that megachurch pastors continually benefit from a seemingly endless amount of people attending their church in defiance of obvious facts. And that's where I wanna bring up for perhaps the last time, hopefully the last time. I don't like talking about it any more than anybody else likes to potentially hear it, but, but because this is so prescient in our minds and because this is so contemporary and important, and because it happened just recently, I think it's important to just, to finally close out conversation, the conversation that I've been having on my channel about Andy Stanley and the conference that he had called Unconditional, for parents of LGBTQ kids, in which he had two men who were married to men presenting at the conference. Now, he finally responded to some critics of this conference, and he had some, I would say, some pretty interesting things to say that also do not square at all with scripture, but sound a little bit more like the poison coming out of David Platt's church than than actually the truths coming out of Scripture. So I want to show you just a couple of clips. And yes, I will not be able to provide the full context. If you want to do that, you can go back and see the full thing. But I'm going to faithfully, I believe, represent to you what took place at Andy Stanley's church after the conference on Sunday morning which, by the way, was at a service that was not streamed and was not televised. But Andy Stanley, after the fact, decided that he would put it up on YouTube. But, of course, silence the comments. Uh, I want to give you some of the flavor of what took place there as he's responding to critics of this LGBTQ conference that he put on. So check it out. Here's it. So back to the article. Um, y'all are very smart people. So
1: all you have to do is, you know, in 30 seconds, you can read between the lines. The author is actually accusing me of departing from his version of biblical Christianity. So I want to go on record and say, I have never subscribed to his version of biblical Christianity to begin with. So I'm not leaving anything, and if he were here, he would say, well, Andy, I've never subscribed to your version of biblical Christianity, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree, but this is so extraordinarily misleading. In my opinion, just my opinion, his version of biblical Christianity is the problem. His version, this version of biblical Christianity is why people are leaving Christianity unnecessarily.
0: Now, maybe if you're a discerning Christian, maybe you've been watching the show for a long time, you can already see the problem with what Stanley just said. He doesn't subscribe to Al Mohler's version of Christianity. Uh, If you want to be, I think, fair, uh, he would be saying something tantamount to, I don't subscribe to the Southern Baptist version of Christianity, so I don't subscribe to a, a biblical faithful movement within the evangelical church version of christianity well I, I mean honestly very unsurprising stanley because there are few christians who would actually pinpoint you as an orthodox christian theologian in fact you probably think orthodox is just another word for i don't know uh, white neocolonialism something like that this goes to show again the the littlest bit of poison from the left comes into the church and you have to be careful of it but ultimately what i want to point out here is that your version of christianity is just a stand in for postmodern liberal theology there is no version of christianity that leans into what people have been criticizing Christianity for for ages. Well, you're just interpreting that based upon your your background or based upon your denomination. You're interpreting scripture based upon your own personal preferences, but but you know the Bible is subject to interpretation anyway. So it's it's everybody's version of Christianity fighting one with another. No, this is this is why orthodoxy exists so that we can understand that christianity is something and not another thing that it is something specifically so if al moeller has a version of christianity and andy stanley has a version of christianity you're going to have to ask yourself which one looks more like christianity (laughs) i mean because that is a thing Uh, and i hope you would say if i'm going to subscribe to either one of their versions of christianity it's going to be al moeller's now truthfully the problem is is that andy stanley brought this up in the first place because we're not supposed to subscribe to anybody's version of christianity we're just supposed to subscribe to the truth and in a sermon that is close to 50 minutes long andy stanley doesn't bring up a single passage of scripture and actually deal with it in any substantive fashion probably comes as no surprise to some of you who have been following Stanley for a while that the man really doesn't have anything to offer from a biblical standpoint. So you decide which version of Christianity you wanna stand on. Um, I prefer to think that Al Mohler's is more faithful to authentic Christianity, which is the only Christianity that I'm concerned with. And. Andy Stanley doubles down on this by saying things like this.
1: Who attended the conference had already tried that, right? Christian parents of LGBTQ plus kids go there immediately. They pull out the verses, they argue, they I mean that's just that's just where parents go. They pull out the convince, convict, coerce, control, convince, convict, coerce, control, convict, convict, you know, convince, convict, coerce, control. And just as a parenting strategy in general,
0: how effective is that? Now, let me give you the context there, so I'm not accused of being out of context. The context there is that when a mom or a dad finds that they have a gay child, they try to minister the gospel to them and minister the Bible to them. And what Andy Stanley says that those parents are doing at that point in time is they are trying to convince, they're trying to convict, and they're trying to coerce, and they are trying to control their children by delivering the word of God to them. That's what they're trying to do. Now, I mentioned this on the show before, but I do think it's important to to mention something here. Our job is not to be concerned with the way people respond to scripture. Our job is to share scripture as faithfully as possibly, as charitably as possibly. That's our job. Andy Stanley, and I'll put this up on the screen, was more interested in trying to make his church a safe space for people coming out. Is that really anywhere in the Bible, what we're supposed to do? Sure, we want people to be honest, yes, 100%. But the church is not supposed to be a, quote unquote, safe space for people coming out. The church is supposed to be a place where sin comes to die and new life in Christ is found. That's what we're supposed to be. So when parents actually read the Bible to their kids, what they're trying to do is give them the cure that they actually need to be set free. You know, Andy at the beginning of this actually even mention the fact that LGBTQ identity is on the rise. Why is that, Stanley? Well, that's because Christians have remained mostly quiet about this issue. For all of the conversation about how judgmental Christians are and how Christians are pushing people away, Christians in modernity are largely quiet about this issue because they know there is a social cost to talking about it. And therefore, there's a social contagion out there that is kind of sucking kids especially into it. Gen Z is uh, has already come out as 20% LGBTQ identifying, which quadruples from two generations before it. Now, we could talk about why that is, but suffice to say, the, these aberrant sexual divergent identities are on the rise, and most of that comes because people like Andy Stanley are the norm in the vast majority of Christian circles. They don't want to talk about these things, and they want to be closed-mouthed about it. The worst thing in the world that could possibly happen to you is your kid come to you and say, why didn't you tell me the truth? Why didn't you tell me? You knew this was gonna hurt me and you never said anything. So Andy Stanley can sit back and say, all you're doing when you read the Bible to people is you're trying to convince and convict, coerce and control them, all he wants. But in the meantime, There are kids who are being hurt and damaged permanently as a result of this LGBTQ cult. And we need to do more than accept and love these people. We need to stand for the truth and we need to share the things that will actually help people the most. And here there's one last clip I wanna show you and this I think says it all. Hey,
1: the conference wasn't for me. The conference wasn't for most of you. I guarantee you the conference wasn't for any of the critics. Because the moment or the day that they discover one of their children or one of their grandchildren claims to be gay or transgender or questioning, they are going to scramble for people that can help them get inside the hearts and minds of their children.
0: So we're going to be scrambling for answers and we're going to come running to Andy Stanley to get those answers or the guys that were speaking at his church. No, we have the answer for what's going on in society if you're paying attention. The reason your child might come to you and announce that they have some form of the LGBTQ intellectual parasite is because they've got sucked into a group of people who lie to them. They've got sucked into kind of a social agenda that ostracizes people who take firm biblical stances and welcomes people who want to sin against scripture and want to damage their own bodies so we don't need to psychoanalyze here and we don't need andy's help what we do need is we need scripture and in a sermon that again spans about 50 minutes long we're never once told that there is hope for deliverance or freedom from the person who is struggling with same-sex attraction never once and the reason for that is because Andy Stanley doesn't actually wanna come out and admit that it's wrong. Toward the end of his message, he'll say, uh, we affirm marriage between a man and a woman, but you know what? The guys who came and preached at my church and led this LGBTQ conference, these guys knew that before they came here. Well, congratulations. Because it's not enough to just say, we affirm traditional marriage. It's You gotta go one step further and say that, that not only do we affirm traditional marriage, but we do not affirm homosexuality. And we want you to get the help that you need to get free from homosexuality. But this is what happens when you don't have an ecclesiological hierarchy. Now, I'm not praising Catholics per se here, but this is where I do see a benefit. Without a structure in place, another structure is gonna take its place. Evangelicals don't have that structure. They don't have a magistrate, they don't have a pope. Um, So what takes the place of those kind of structures is celebrity pastors, by and large, in the evangelical church. Listen, I don't want an evangelical Pope, but we kind of have one, don't we? Whether you like it or not, the biggest churches and the pastors of those churches become the de facto Christian thought leaders for the culture. That's how people like Andy Stanley becomes the number eight most influential Christian leader in America in Outreach Magazine. The only thing that can stop that is to oppose people like Andy Stanley without the care of the world coming back and saying, you're being judgmental and you're being intolerant. We we have to push that to the side and and we have to refuse to allow that blackmail to work. And furthermore, we have to quit attending churches that refuse to preach the truth, whether you like their music or not. If we continue on the path we're on now, I don't blame people for refusing to go to church. What I do blame us all for is the kind of apathy that doesn't demand better for our leaders. I mean, read the Bible. God's leaders are missing it constantly, and they have to repent publicly. To call Andy out on that kind of stuff is not being hateful. It's merciful, and it's a cry for change to a man that doesn't realize that there are multiple trajectories to liberalism And if you don't stop yourself on the path, you'll find that you are hurting a generation that is yet to come because you refuse to stand up for what is right. And there are consequences for that, as there are with all bad ideas. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God. So you just got done watching a small excerpt of a much larger episode. You can find the link to that full episode down below in the description of this video. So you definitely want to check that out because if you like that clip, you'll like the much larger episode. And while you're at it, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and click that little bell to be notified when great new episodes of Anything Thinker come your way. Thanks for watching.